joy and a privilege to be here with you today. And my wife is sad that she couldn't make it because our toddler, Emmerich, he got sick yesterday. When you have small kids, they get sick a lot. You probably know that by now. And we have two. God blessed us with Ellis. He's four. He turned four a week ago. Emmerich turned two a week ago. They're two days apart. And our life is crazy, as you can imagine. And we want to give you a glimpse of where we're going and what we're going to do and how you're being part of that. So we're going back to Romania in the city where I grew up. We moved out of the, I moved out of there a long time ago, 12 years ago for college. And uh, now we're going back there. And we'll be serving with a team there to share the gospel, make disciples, and reach uh, different categories of people that will tell you more about it in, in this uh, message. And, and you're being part of that. So we want to say Thank you for that. And in, uh, in this county where we're working, only 0.3% claim to be evangelical Christians. So the need is, is great. There are a lot of people that never heard the gospel because the main religion is orthodoxy. And we want to be part of what God is doing there. If you have a Bible, would you please open with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read there, and that, that's going to be our main text for today. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to go from verse 1 to verse 13. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed thick leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me. You gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. You'll be glad to hear we don't have to wait until December to celebrate Christmas, but that we can do it today. And before you think that I lost my mind, let me tell you, this is the first text in the Bible that talks about the coming of Jesus. As we're going to look down the scripture, we see that there clearly. And you probably have started watching a TV show with, with a friend or with a family member or someone, and they've missed the very first episodes so, of course, nothing made sense to them. So you, they, they would ask you so many questions about it, and you told them, you got to go watch it from the beginning. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. And it's the same with the Bible. 
It takes a whole Bible to make a Christian. If we want to understand Christianity, we got to go to Genesis and end in Revelation. Because the Bible is a progression of God's story. And, and from the beginning to end, the Bible reveals the glory of Jesus. So then every story and every chapter, every book, it's a progression of the story of God, of how Jesus was going to come and points us to a person, the same person that wants to change your life and your eternity. So when we open the Bible, we can be sure of three things. We can be sure that it is a book about Jesus, that it's one unified story, and that through the Bible we come to see and know the glory of Jesus. Stephen Willem, he said that God does not try to hide the truth from us, he reveals it. The Bible reveals more than a story for us to enjoy. It reveals a person for us to know. God wants us to know him through Jesus. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see this one unfolding story of God's grace and mercy towards sinners through Jesus Christ and how we can approach him and know him. And we begin to see that clearly in Genesis chapter 3. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question, what is the chief end of man? And then it gives us the answer, the man's chief end is to glorify God and it is, it's to enjoy Him forever. We've been created to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And Paul tells us that there's no higher calling. In Romans 12 verse 1 that, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And C.S. Lewis, he, he, he says the same thing. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. He wants us to enjoy Him. How do we get there? It's only through the gospel. It's only through the gospel because we see here that God created a perfect world. I think about all the things that are wrong today, and you don't have to think hard, because there's so many that are wrong. None of that was present in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Because God created two people in His image to enjoy His presence and to enjoy the things that He made in the garden. Everything was allowed but this. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God gave them one test, and it all boils down to this, as we're going to see. Will they trust God and His plan? Will they trust His word? Or will they trust themselves and do whatever they want? Because this was a test of their trust. And, and this is a story that catches us into itself. Because this is the test that each one of us has to face every morning when we get up. Will we trust God and His Word? Or will we try to be God's and be in charge of our own lives? Because we think that our way is better. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And we don't see this here, but the rest of the Bible makes it clear that who, the, the, the one they're dealing with here, it's Satan. Ezekiel 28 tells us that Satan was in Eden, and then we see it again in Revelation 12 and 20 and in other places. But Revelation says that this great dragon 
the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. That was him that was there. And this is a, a being that is extremely intelligent and powerful, way more powerful and intelligent than any of us will ever be. And we can outsmart him, but we can overcome him with the power of Jesus. And there's evil in the world. I mean, you see that, you've experienced that in your own life. We can't deny it, we can't escape it. And Satan, he's the creator of that. He's the essence of it. And his goal is to destroy the works of God and ultimately to destroy us. He's God's adversary and he won't stop until he's being destroyed. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And we see that his first attack was leveled against the word of God. He's done that from the very beginning. If he could make her confused about what God had said or, uh, or make her doubt about what God had said, then his battle was personally won. And, and from the beginning, he's tried to undermine God's word. And he, if he can make us ignore it or, or, or neglect it, then that's going to be very effective for him. And after she responds, the serpent says, You will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he's trying to do here three things with her. Distrust God and, and doubt the word God has spoken and doubt the goodness of God. And this is the battle that we all face from unbelief to belief to, to faith in Christ and then from faith in Christ to eternity when our sight will be made complete and he's doing exactly what all of us have experienced already. If I could only have this thing, then my life would be so much better. If I could only be in this relationship with this person, my life would be so much better. If I could only have this job or this car or you know, my body looked a certain way, my, my life would be so much better. And this is what he's offering to her. And I remember a few years ago when I was in high school, and, and, and in that school there were just a, a handful of us that were evangelical Christians. The rest of them were Orthodox believers because Romania is an Orthodox country. And, and there were a few of them that came to me and said, why would we want to follow your God where you just have to do all these things to please Him and you never have fun? It's all about rules, all about doing this and that. Because their, their view was, Oh, if I could have these things, my life would be so much better than following this God. Because Satan wants us to see sin as something good and God as being bad. His, his main lie has always been that sin is good and God is bad. He is a bad God. And, and, and Satan's temptation was all the more powerful because it has also some truth in it. He said, your eyes will be open. And it was true, they were opened, but they were open to the awareness of their brokenness, their nakedness once they disobey God. And he says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this final enticement was, was the strongest, the most powerful, and, and Eve tried to become, to become a God. And, and this, this is what a lot of religions try to do today, to help their followers become gods. So when the woman saw, and she surrendered to what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. First, she gave in to the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. Then she gave in to the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes. 
Then she gave in to the pride of life. It was desirable to make one wise. And then the consequences came. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And we see here that sin has three profound consequences for us. It brings guilt and shame and fear. And all these three elements are dealt with throughout the scriptures. And when, when Adam and Eve sinned, three great conditions came upon humankind. When, he, when man broke God's law, he was in a position of guilt. When he broke his relationship, he was in a position of shame. And when he broke his trust, he was in a position of fear. And from this moment on, people have lived in fear and guilt and shame. And, and regardless of, of the culture you're in, you will see all of those elements present to some degree. And I remember Lisa, my wife, she met with someone that was part of our college Bible study. And, 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 and this girl was uh, in, a bad, in a bad relationship, and she still is, and, and she felt guilty because she grew up in church and she knew the Bible, she was baptized, she was a member of the church and doing you know, all, all the Christian things. But still, she, she committed sin and it was involved in a sinful relationship and her conscience was accusing her. She was guilty and she was ashamed. So Alyssa had to meet with her and, and, and speak life to her, point her to the gospel and tell her that the gospel deals with that. Not only that God forgives our guilt, but he removes the shame and he removes the fear so that we don't have to live in condemnation anymore. So she met with her and, and she pointed her again and again and again, sp spoke life to her that, that the gospel deals with those things once and for all. And just like this young lady, there are a lot of other students that we've worked with in, in Kansas and in, that we work with in Romania that live in, in, in guilt and fear and shame. And they come from all over the world, Middle East and Asia, and they study there for a number of years. And we, we want to help them know Christ and teach them how to reach others so that as they go back to their countries, all of a sudden we'll have a global movement of disciple makers that know their culture and the language, that don't live in guilt or fear or shame anymore. And just like this, lady was trying to keep herself busy with doing Christian things and, and, and saying and doing the right things to numb her conscience because she felt guilty. Same with Adam and Eve. They, they tried to cover their guilt by trying to make some clothes. They, they sewed fig leaves together. They attempted to cover themselves. And, and every attempt that we make to cover ourselves is just foolishness. We can't do that. I mean, we can try. But we need to let Jesus cover us, says Revelation chapter 3, and put on Jesus himself as our covering garment, says Galatians. And Isaiah tells us that God has a covering for his people. We don't have to come up with something. And, and what we see here is that sin has immediate consequences. And, and if those are not dealt with, it will have eternal consequences. And we see here the immediate consequences that have remained to this day and that we inherit. Paul tells us in Romans 1, 21 and 25, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, 
and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. This is exactly what happens here in Eden. And this is exactly what's happening today when people exchange the truth about God for lies. You decide what's true for yourself. You, 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 you decide what's true, regardless, you know, depending on the circumstance that you're in. And then we see that their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked, so they, sew, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They instantly felt guilty for their sin. Even before God comes to meet them, to, to confront them for their sin, their conscience accuses them. Because every person that has ever lived and that lives now has a conscience that tells us when we sin against God. And instead of running to God, they, they run away from God. And this is the nature of every unbeliever. To run away from God, not towards Him, and to try to cover their sins. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And immediately we see that God responds to sin. He takes the initiative. We have nothing to boast about. He's the one coming to look for us. And, and while it used to be the highlight of their day, being with God, being in his presence is now terrifying. So they try to hide as if they can hide. And we're fools to think that we can hide from God. And I don't have time to read it today. But go to Psalm 139 and read from verse 7 to verse 12. God knows everything. He sees everything. There's no good place where we can hide without him knowing we're there. There's a college student that has been part of our Bible study, and he's from Africa. And he told me when I met with him that his dad died when he was two, and then his mom married someone else, and his stepdad didn't want him. So he was sent to live with his grandparents, and his grandparents always threatened him to kick him out of the house when he misbehaved. So he grew up for years with this fear of, will I be kicked out of the house today or next week or next month? And and now he lives in America, he studies at, in college, and he's terrified of cops. He got pulled over a couple of times and he was terrified that he will be arrested and deported. Fear paralyzes him because of what happened in his past. So I, I had to meet with him and, and speak life to him and tell him that because of the gospel, we don't have to live in fear anymore. There's no love, in, in, in love, there's no fear, tells us John. And I have to tell him again and again and again that only when we know Christ, that fear has no power over us. So just like this guy, there, there are the people in Romania, high school students and middle school students that we're going to work with, that live in fear. Their parents lived during communism, and now they pass this fear from generation to generation, and now they're afraid of, will I be rejected by my peers? Will I have a good job? Will I have enough money? Will I succeed in school? So they live in fear because they don't know God. And the gospel responds to that as well. Not just to our guilt, but also to our fear. Because God doesn't want us to live in fear. But the Lord God called the man and he said, Where are you? God is the one taking the initiative. Every single time. And there's so many people hiding today from God. Regardless of the country you go to, there's so many people that are trying to hide from God. Are you one of those people? Trying to run away from God. 
where are you? And this was not the interrogation of an angry God. It was the heartfelt cry of an anguished father. When my kids do something bad that they know, they hide behind the couch. And I know they're there. God always knows where we are. He, he knew when he asked this question where they were. In asking this question, he, he's trying to help them understand that they're lost, that he cares for them, that he, he, he's sorrowful. He, there's pain because of what man has done. To show that he seeks after us, and that we are accountable to him. And, and the way he comes to Adam and Eve, it's the same way he comes to you and I today. He comes patient, patiently, but firmly. And, and he comes with care before the, the darkness of night. And he comes personally to them, addressing to Adam and Eve. And he comes with truth. Because they need to hear the truth. The Bible tells us about Christ that he was full of grace and truth. He confronted people. And out of love, God came to confront Adam and Eve with the truth because he's holy and he cannot tolerate sin and because he cares for his people. And sin made, made Adam afraid of God's presence. And ever since, men run away from God's presence. They don't want to listen to his word. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, Verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This is exactly what we see today when people cannot stand sound doctrine. They cannot stand the truth. When they want what they want, however they want it. But these are the times when we got to be anchored in God's truth. Because the Word of God is a steady foundation that we can build upon. And for time's sake, I need to skip some verses, though they're really important. And this will be your homework when you go home because it's so much theology here. But following the, the rebellion of man, there are consequences. Humanity is cursed. The earth is cursed. And people don't understand how much sin offends God. He hates it with a passion. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And, and those of you who are married know that there's no, we're perfect for each other once you start living under the same roof. There's pain. And I thought I was a saint until I got married. And, and it, it's, it's hard. Marriage is hard. And I thought I knew what pain was until I saw my wife giving birth to two kids without any medication, just naturally. I was in pain just watching that. And, and there's pain in this world, and it all starts here. By the sweat of your brow, you eat your food until you return to the ground. From sins, from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the curse of death shows that all of us inherit what happens here. Romans tells us that because of Adam, sin entered the world. Death came to all mankind. Death reigned over man and creation. All men are condemned. All men are sinners. All of us. There's none righteous. And, and the curse that comes as a result of disobedience transformed the life completely. 
Things have never been the same again. And the first two chapters in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, describe this perfect world without sin. And then the last two chapters in the Bible, Revelation, describe a coming world where sin is no more, where there's no more brokenness, where God makes all things new. So how, what's the cure? How do we get there? Through Jesus. That's how we get there. And, and Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the garden. They're banished from the presence of, guard, of God. And then guards with swords of fire are placed outside of the garden to guard it. So how do we get back to a perfect relationship with God? Jesus endured the fire of judgment on the cross. And, and he made this new way uh, uh, intimacy and, and communion with our Creator. By his blood. We're told in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And the first time he came was to die, and then he was raised to life three days later. The second time he will come, it will be to judge the world and take his church with him and make all things new. And this is our hope. This is what we long for. This is what we're waiting for. And we're told that he'll crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first time we see the gospel in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3. And in this, God prophesies that the battle will be between God and, 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 and Satan. Between the seed of the woman, Jesus, and Satan. And that Satan would wound the Messiah. Jesus died, but he was, he was brought back to life but that he will crush the head of the snake with a deadly blow. And, and he did, he, Satan is defeated at the cross, but he's not completely destroyed. That is to happen. The Revelation talks about that. One day when all things will be made new, there, there's still sin in the world. There's still brokenness in the world. Things are not right. But the day is coming, Revelation 21, 5, when he will make all things new. And that is the hope that we have in the midst of a crazy world. And everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus who speaks life to our soul through the gospel. And we're told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And, and salvation has to do with, with saving us from God's judgment and also with restoring the relationship that we've been created to have with God and also to build trust between us and God. All those things are important, and, and, and it talks about how sin can be removed from our lives. Because without Christ, we live in guilt and fear and shame. But at the cross, Jesus deals with all these things once and for all. And Jesus satisfies the wrath of a holy God. He redeems us by paying the price, and he reconciles us by his blood. And not only that, he gives us forgiveness... But he also offers freedom from shame and fear. And it is amazing how many Christians today live in shame and fear. They know they've been forgiven. You know, their, their guilt has been removed. But they still live in condemnation. They live in fear and shame. And God wants to deal with those things. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And, and in order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, a sacrifice had to be made. An animal had to die. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, tells us Hebrews 9.22. And this is a clear image that points us to Jesus. 
the, the, the perfect sacrifice of God that was to come, he's the perfect garment which covers our nakedness so we can stand before God. And, and, and covering ourselves with good deeds, with uh, trying to be moral or holy, it's like trying to, to cover ourselves with leaves. It doesn't work. And, and Adam and Eve, they were clothed with a garment that came from someone else that was purchased at the expense of someone else's life. And it is the same with Jesus. We're, we're clothed with a garment of righteousness that was purchased at the expense of his life. And God clothed them, pers- clothed them we're told that he, he's personal. He's doing this. He draws near to them. He wants them. And Jesus is speaking to one of his churches in Revelation chapter 3 and says, I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. And also buy white garments from me so that you'll not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. So I want you to ask these three questions today as an application. Do you live with guilt today? Do you live ashamed? Do you live in fear? Because regardless of the culture we come from, the family we grew up in, the status we have, the color of our skin, immigrants or citizens, we deal with these things. And they don't allow us to experience the life God has created us to live with him. Come to Jesus. Because the gospel speaks life to us and deals with all those things with guilt and shame and fear. And we're grateful to have you praying over us, supporting us, so we can go reach people in Romania and help them not live in guilt and, and fear and shame anymore because the gospel does that for them. And you know there's war and there, there's a lot of refugees going all over Europe and there's a lot of them in Romania right now, hundreds of thousands. And they live in fear, terrified. They have nothing with them. And that, that provides so many opportunities to share the gospel with people that are in desperate need to hear it. And because we're going, you're coming with us, even without packing a bag. So thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for being the body of Christ and allowing us to be part of that together with you. So we started uh, this morning worshiping in song and then worshiping in prayer, now worshiping in God's word. Thanks, Rosanne, for just helping us navigate that. And so now we worship together as one body in offering. An offering is a time where we, where we look at everything God's given us and what is he calling us to give back today. And so it could be just our regular offering can be just how we give to ourselves as a body of Christ as an offering to him, which sends people all the way to Romania. That's big. Maybe our offering today is that fear, guilt, and shame that just restrains us big. 
Or maybe we just are offering today as a pray for these guys because they're going to go after gear, gear, fear, guilt, and shame. That should just be one word, gear, for and shame. But let our offering today, and maybe the offering is that pledge card, whatever that is, let your offering be the most amazing offering you can give to a God who's given so much to us. Would you bow your heads and let's pray for Rosvan and Alyssa and their family and, and just for our offering today. Heavenly Father, Lord, our first offering to you is if there is fear, guilt, or shame in this room, Father, let the good news speak life to us and, and today be committed to either filling out my connect card there on our worship guide or reaching out to somebody here saying, would you walk with me? That's what we do here is we take on fear, guilt, and shame and we counter it with the good news. And so, Father, if there's somebody here restrained today, have them be bold and just reach out. Come up to us afterwards. Ask for that help. We're, that's what we're here for. Father, maybe our gift today, our offering to you is to completely come behind what you're doing throughout this church in so many ways, and we still have to hear more just a little bit before we finish today. But our biggest offering we have is a prayer for them today, that for Rosvan, Alyssa, and, the boy, and they're just the boys of just, that this summer, as they go into training, as they just packed up their house this week, as they get ready to launch in August, that all these things, there's a huge need in Romania right now, and we're sending in people that know that place like the back of their hand. And because they're going there, Westview now has a footprint in Romania. And now, Father, we are in Europe, we are in Asia, we're in Africa, and we're in South America. And Father, we're sending them like we've sent everybody else. That means we come behind them, we give faithfully, we pray faithfully. And so, Father, we lift up this family. The enemy's gonna try to do about everything he can to stop them in the summer. And so, Father, we just ask for your protection around them. And this church commits to praying for them. So, Father, we lift up this whole day. We lift up for however you're speaking to our hearts today that our offering is just fragrant to you, and thank you for how much you give to us every day. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, this guy, I would ask all of you to, I know some of you go out the east doors here, but this guy will be right at a table. There'll be another table there for St. Francis Mysteries, but go out there, and if anything, grab their card and sign up for their newsletter. It's impossible to keep you up with everything that goes on in this church, but you can stay up by paying attention to our newsletter and theirs, and you'll know how to pray and how to continue to come behind. But would you give this, this guy a warm applause? Thanks.